0: It's been only about a month, I say that relatively, it feels more like a year that I've been complaining about the secondary scoring, or lack thereof, today I'm going to try to take a new tack. Good morning to you, good Wednesday morning, I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, this is Daily Shot of Penguins, it comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball, I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Pirates, where you found this. The Penguins will be back at practice today at 11 a.m. in Cranberry. All eyes, again, likely to be on Teddy Bluger, who was able to dish off his dreaded non-contact sweater and start moving closer. And as he does, as he does, more things are very likely to make more sense With the entire bottom six, maybe all of the second, third, and fourth lines. That's how pivotal his role is on this team. That's how much Teddy's been missed. But he also won't just, you know, come back and snap his fingers and make it all go away. At some stage of the second half of this season, you would imagine that it'd be incumbent on all of these guys to get back to scoring. Evan Rodriguez was asked after yesterday's practice in Cranberry about the Penguins bouncing back from a rare losing streak to get those couple of nice wins this past weekend. I just think we've, you know gotten away from going chance for chance with teams or you know playing the right way playing sound defensively and kind of letting the offense come letting our power play kind of take over games and um you know i think we'd like to create a little bit more even strength offense and um but you know other than that i think it was just a good sound offensive game and i think that's where your offense builds from totally fair response exactly what you've come to expect from an accountable guy like rodriguez he wasn't even asked how the secondary scoring was coming along, wasn't asked about his own isolated goal over the past 20-plus games. But he responded the way he did because that remains the entire elephant exhibit in the living room. It started with just like a baby elephant and then like the whole herd came through the living room and then through the windows and everywhere else. It's now the thing that's defining this team. But I hope you also picked up the other component to his response, and that was that he sees the team resetting to a hard defensive posture as being the beginning of recreating that offense. And you know what? without speaking for rodriguez my belief in what he put forth there is that a lot of the penguins offense that was created by the bottom six and really when you get right down to it and you go back to the earlier part of the season when he was one of the few guys that was doing any scoring at all we're talking about the second third and fourth lines in the same capacity here their offense began with creating turnovers, with forcing odd man rushes, and with finishing a lot of those. The Penguins were a really good odd man rush team at 5-on-5. The analytics will support me on that. So will your own eyeballs. They created their own breaks, and they put enough of them away to make a difference and to kind of negate that none of them is really a great shooter, including Rodriguez himself, despite the 15 goals that he put out in the first 37 games. And that's okay because even if you aren't a great shooter, as long as you're creating a lot of chances, you can just keep taking more shots and trying more things. Remember, some of Rodriguez's goals in particular were, you know, pretty What's the word I'm looking for here? I don't want to say fancy, but they were—they had a little bit of flair to them. You know, he'd cut across a slot, fire back against the grain, couple of nice backhanders. Guy's a good hockey player. You would think he's going to score again, but it's not going to happen—not for him, not for any of them. Until they get the confidence back. And the confidence isn't going to come until they get the goals. And the goals aren't going to come until they get back to creating the chances. Want to know the number one problem that I have with the secondary scoring over the past month? Here's a hint. The analytics will bear this out as well. They aren't getting anything. They're barely visible. Go ahead and splice together a full montage of Zach Aston Reese's eight or nine five-on-five shifts over the course of a game. Watch these things. They're murderous. I say this as somebody who really loves this kid. I'm not picking on him. But he's really, really hard to watch right now. It's like he's given up scoring. At least to his credit, a couple of weeks ago in Boston, when he and I talked about it, he kind of acknowledged that. He's like, I, I'm focusing so much on defense that doing anything offensive feels like an afterthought. I need to get away from that. And he talked about it, but he didn't do anything. He still hasn't put it into practice. Each one of these guys, whether it's Rodriguez, whether it's Aston Reese, whether it's Kasperi and whether it's Dominic, ah, don't even put Dom in. Dom can't score. Okay. Dom's not going to come around. But when you look at these guys, each one of their stories, each one of the explanations for why they've struggled is very different. But I feel comfortable saying that in the same breath that I say they've got the same pathway to coming out of it. And if they're looking for an example, they don't have to go any further than Danton Heinen. I throw Heinen in not because I think he's unworthy of top six or whatever, although he really kind of is. I do that because Heinen's already into that phase. Heinen has been getting all kinds of chances over the last two, three games. I don't care if I sound like a fool predicting that the next game is going to be a Heinen breakout, but that's where he's pointed. He's not only getting chances. He's not only getting off good shots with those chances, but he's also creating chances for others. So it's kind of like he's in the advanced stage of where the rest of these guys are trying to get to. I think they will. I really do. Dot, dot, dot. At least for the purposes of this super upbeat episode. Reserve the right to change my mind tomorrow when we come back to one question. Today's J1Q comes from Mr. Eric who asks would it cost too much to bring Jared McCann back from the Kraken? Where do you think that Seattle wouldn't part with him? Uh, Mr. Eric I was fortunate enough to have covered Ron Francis in his playing days in Pittsburgh. And yes, I'm dating myself by dropping that reference. And Even on a team that had Mario Lemieux and Larry Murphy and lots of other really, really super smart guys, Ronnie might have been just a tick above. And I'd like to think that just as he once joked that he couldn't have slowed down in his old age because he didn't have a step to lose, I really hope that Ronnie doesn't have a step to lose in his thought process and gives up a really good player like McCann. I obviously say this all in jest. But at the same time, McCann's been so good, so consistent, and so everything that so many people here thought he'd be if only the Penguins had held on to him and engineered salary cap adjustments through other means. But here's why I'm glad you asked the question. I spent some time thinking about this on the Columbus trip, meaning who's out there that the Penguins could get to satisfy that scoring need on those bottom two, even three lines if it comes to that, if these guys never come around, if no other answers are produced internally, including from the eagerly awaited, in parentheses, by me, And parentheses, return to Pittsburgh of Drew O'Connor and or Radim Zahorna, not to mention the injury returns of Bluger and Jason Zucker. Don't forget about him. Then who's out there? The way I do this, unlike, I think, a lot of uh, the trade speculation type of websites that specialize in this sort of thing, which is just name bomb, name bomb, name bomb. And they know why, because names sell. If a fan hears the name of a player, that even if there's no no reputable reporter working on this at all, just, you know, Joe, whoever in his basement, you hear the name. And for a fleeting moment, you picture that player in your team's uniform and you go, whoa hey, they're talking about this. No, they aren't. Joe in his basement's talking about it. Joe in his basement is grateful for your click because those four or five ads that he put onto that page paid him some money that he didn't exactly deserve. What I do, and of course, I'm referring to something more than, you know, talking to my actual sources and to the GM and to the president of hockey operations to see what they have to say or what kind of hints they might drop. I look at teams. I look at teams that are either out of it or look like they could soon be out of it. And then from there, you start checking their ages, their free agent lists, their cap situations, the state of the organization, meaning Which team looks like it could really be emptying some names out? And then from there, you have names. I could waste everyone's time here and bring up Philadelphia. The people who run the Flyers, although they're different in some ways from the past, they're not that different. And you're not going to see a trade made that helps the Penguins win the Stanley Cup. You'll see a -a once-in-a-generation trade that means next to nothing, such as dumping Mark Friedman off here, in large part because the Philadelphia players seem to really, really hate him. But you're not going to see Claude Giroux playing for Pittsburgh. I'm saying that even just half-jokingly, considering Giroux's contract. I'm looking instead to teams that are, you know, playing for nothing and have nothing to gain by holding on to guys that are going to be UFAs at the end of a lost season. And I'm going to throw a team at you that doesn't get mentioned a whole lot in this sort of thing. And that's Winnipeg. Because the Jets aren't very good. And yet the Jets have individual guys, a lot of them, that you would take, you would ecstatically take on this roster. This does happen, and in a strange kind of way, this does make sense. Take this from someone who holds that city near and dear to my heart, so I pay more attention to the Jets than I do most teams, but they've been a mess uh, collectively more so than individually, but also individually in some ways. Look, if you're bad enough as a group to prompt a great man and a really accomplished coach like Paul Maurice to just walk out the door in midseason, there's a real problem there. And there's a push, I can also tell you, in Manitoba to get Kevin Day off to Start punting on all this. That team and that core has been together for quite a while. And other than making it to the Western Conference Final the one year, they haven't gotten it done. They do have some young talent. They do have the goaltender that some feel is either the best or one of the top two or three in the NHL, in Connor Hellebuck. But you can't get better by just sending the same guys out there. So who that's going to be, I don't know, and I'm not about to say, hey, everybody, Mark Scheifele is coming to Pittsburgh or Blake Wheeler or whatever, anything crazy like that. Again, there's always going to be cap considerations when it comes to whatever Hextall is looking at. But there are players there. And if you see a blow-up happen, like a total blow-up, The Penguins would be nuts to not be paying attention. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one tomorrow.